Uh, good morning. Um, last week, as you know, um, we we're going through a new series in First Peter and Second Peter eventually. Um, if you didn't get a chance to on your way out or even right now, um, feel free to get uh, those First Peter journals. We'd love for you just to take it and just go to town with it. Um, highlight, marker it, bring your pencil bag, your pen bag, um, just write your prayers on it, um, just mark that up um, for uh, just to, to, to remember uh, as a marker for you as you read God's word that you would just be able to just hide it in your own heart. Now last week uh, we saw um, w- this, that God is, was identifying us and he was speaking into our identity as beloved exiles. These beloved exiles, he was speaking to, not just to us, um, we're not his direct audience, a lot of times we forget about that, but God is speaking to us um, through another audience, and now the word of God is for us, meaning that it's for our good as we look into the scriptures and into its original context, but we see that the exiles that he was talking to were scattered all over the five provinces of what is now Turkey. And these elects, exiles, these people who have been called out by grace through faith are now, have the same privileges as the Jewish people uh, Israel had um, with the Lord. And so what was probably so mind-blowing was that they were incorporated into a body that received the same privileges of the Jewish people. And they were called out, as we see, as a people and called out as his beloved. And not only that, we saw in verse 2 that God is all for us. And then he closed with this greeting, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So I just want you to see that there has been no imperative or command for us to do something. Ultimately, God has just been speaking and started off his letter with this sense of, I'm all for you. I love you. And yet, you are my called out exiles to live not for this world, but to live for the identity that's in you because you were made for another world. And so this message, and I hope that this whole um, this whole series, as Jordan preaches next week and Jake preaches in the coming weeks, um, that our desires that we would challenge you to live and lean into this identity of being a beloved exile and let that change everything about you. And so last time we asked the question, does everything I do flow out of my identity um, as being beloved w- by God? And if I'm honest with you, I'm asking that myself. I'm asking that every morning when I wake up, that I'm not so fixated on it's 4.45 and I don't want to wake up. But that the first thought that I have is, man, God, I'm your beloved. You're, you're my friend and my savior and my Lord. I love you. This is something I'm just trying to, to work at and pray for me. And as I'm sure you all are, are working through this, just being able to rest in Jesus. To feel his presence and love and not to be defined by what I do or what I don't do. I'm really just, I've just been reminded of that so often and how I define myself by power or privilege or position. And I just don't want that. I just want to be beloved.
what the heck? I just see wrestling in the head for being on that end. And so um, I just really want to encourage us. Um, that's something that I'm working through. I mean, that's something that hopefully you all are working through, that you're leaning into this idea. And this week I also heard a very difficult question that came to my mind. If you only knew you had a few minutes left in your earthly life, what would you want to share with the people closest to you? You ever think about that? It kind of threw me for a loop a little bit. It's like, what would I share if I had five minutes to communicate to the one that I love? I'm sure it wouldn't be, hey, Caleb, remember to take out the socks. <laughs> it wouldn't be, Joanna, make sure you don't do cartwheels where there's hanging things from the ceiling. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be to my kids, make sure you clean your room of all those toys and those cars. I'm pretty sure you wouldn't go into how important it is to have a stamp collection. Um, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't even be, hey, come and check out every single detail of my 1969 Camaro. Um, or even to know the latest scores on your favorite games. Chances are you would want to talk about something that would really, really affect you deeply. Um, as we speak, we had a friend um, who texted us Friday saying that her father had just slipped into uh, unconscious and um, had only maybe moments to live and she hopped on a plane um, to go back to Asia to go see her dad and hear prayer and it was the next lesson to get prayer to receive for her dad to receive salvation. Just what Rodney was talking about. Yesterday, praise God, he texted us back saying he received the word from God and right before heaven was opened. This text, what we are talking about matters. This is not just an everyday, we're going to talk about salvation, go over the same gospel presentation. This mattered to our friend. It mattered to us. It was amazing to see God move in that way. But if the enemy is telling you that this is just another message about something I already know, or that this is something that I should just kind of hear and out goes in one ear and out the other, that is a lie from the enemy and we cast that out. It I was just so impressed by that, that as we worship and we praise God, we have a God who loves to hear the prayers of his children, who loves us, even loves us, even if it just seemed a very deep and defining moment um, to welcome us closer to him. And so let's think about what is the most important thing that Peter, or Peter teach us. I was going to brag out my British, <laughs> uh, not my British, my English. Um, thank you, Rodney. You can correct me later. <coughs> um, what is the most important thing he wants to say to us? And I would venture to say right here in these two verses. Let's go and read verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Y'all, Jesus died. 
but he's not there anymore. Amen? He's a resurrected king, and he lives forevermore, forever and ever. And he delights in us so much that he invites us to take our deadness and we revive us so that we can live forever with him, even in the presence that we would and so one thing that you want to understand is that the, the way that he opens his, in, his introduction is not with another thing to do, but a section of joy, a joy that just a gladness that pervades this passage. Um, there's a <coughs> Tom Wright, he says this about this passage, the, t- the best way of talking specifically about God and what he's done is by praise, not simply description. And praise is what Peter now offers. Whenever we talk about salvation, we should never be content to talk about it. We should be willing to break out. Monica, come on up here. No, I'm just kidding. Monica, just let's go and praise the Lord, right? Let's go and worship him because we can't just talk about this salvation without experiencing God's salvation meaningfully. Peter doesn't start with just exhorting exiles to be steadfast or to be strong or to be faithful or to read the word. As much as he exhorted them to worship, be in this gladness, this joy of God, and let it be all about him. Let it be in you. Let it be walking about you. In other words, we see that the biggest priority for you today, it's just what we are doing right now, it's worship. Worship is the ultimate priority of every living, breathing soul right now, and not just the soul, but it's all of heaven and earth. Nothing else in the, ma- in the end will matter except for the worship in Jesus on the throne, him being that slain lamb who died for our sins as a sacrifice, and now he's exalted at the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit is um, there and illuminating Jesus and pointing to him that all people Um, And so that is first order. Worship is of first order. And I just want to ask you, what are you, where are you in your awe of God? As you come here, was one of your prayers, man, Lord, I want to be so filled in awe and wonder with you. Is your desire here one of just encountering saying, God, I want to know you, and I want to go beyond knowledge. I want to go beyond just head knowledge, but I want to experience you, the living God. And that's the um, encountering God, which love is that we have a sense both in our um, every service, but especially in our family services, the lifting of hands. And maybe your is your heart of one of formation in which you are longing to be formed, to have, you know, everything in our lives forms us and shapes us in some way, whether it be the um, Facebook ads or posts, whatever it's your TikTok things that you see, whether it's the videos that you watch, the world has, has it. They got it down, guys, on formation. They're forming and shaping you and your kids' lives And yet, this is where, you know, church becomes a place of being able to just disrupt 
the formation of this world, of forming it in this idolatrous image of self and forming it upon Christ. So if your goal and your desire here is to be in all of God's word, that your life would follow of being changed by the word. There are so many elements that of, of worship. There are three main elements of worship paradigm, um, and, and that's one is mission, in that we are called to be sent and gather so that we can be sent out and scatter into this world so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, that there is also a formation paradigm in which we are gathering here to be reformed and renewed in our structures and our liturgy, in our, um, in our being, and maybe even in our um, sin that we are called to confess and repent and come to the table and be experience the cleansing of Jesus, just like we did last week in uh, um, the Lord's Supper. So there's a formation. And then lastly, there's an encounter paradigm in which we also not just hear words from a book, but that we are encountering a living, risen Jesus. And so that's Paul's reason to praise, that every moment when he's coming to worship Jesus, he wants to encounter Jesus, he wants to be formed by Jesus, and then he wants to go out on mission for Jesus. And that's why we're here. Amen? And that's why we're here. But P- Peter's uh, reason to first started with worship. Let's look again at verse 3. According to his great mercy. So he starts off with, blessed be the God and Father, which is literally just to bless, to praise, to call attention to who God is. And then he emphasizes God's gracious initiative. It's his decisive acts. And this word here, to be born again, is the ancient or old-fashioned word, beget, that literally means to renew. It speaks of the rebirthing or the renewing of our spiritual life, that before we stepped in and we found Christ, we were dead. But now, when we have found Christ and when Christ has found us, uh, that we become alive in Christ, that there's something, a new life that brims out of us. And bursts out where there was none. And we get a new heart, a new desire, new flesh, new passions. And 1 Peter 1.23 talks about that. It says that um, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, nothing could rebirth us other than God's word. Man, if there's anything that we can take and contribute to in our salvation, man, Peter should have put something here, right? By our goodness, by our own ability to memorize scripture, our own uh, ability to, uh, to, to, to root things out, our own discernment, you can fill in the blank here. You would think Peter would add something here, but he does not. It's kind of like your child telling you later on in life, I hope your children never tell you this, but you know, mom, you may have birthed me in your womb, but you know, I had a lot to do with it. I was actually the one pushing. I was the one working hard to be birthed. So you should just, you know, you should just thank me for coming out of your womb. Um, And uh, no one, right? No one ever takes the credit for being born. (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) 
In the same way, in the same way, many of us get credit or cred for our salvation. And so there's nothing about that here in Scripture. Now, it's not to say that God has sovereign plans and also he loves our our acts of the will and, and our desires. He, he wants that. And we have a responsibility to respond to his will. But here, God has to never lie. And so, so what are we born into? Peter addresses two things of what we are born into. And it's a simple thing, but there's a simple word, to, T-O, not T-W-O, but T-O, that I want to just call attention for the rest of our time. Peter's priority was to pray. And what was he praising God for? He was praising God for, number one, living hope, and two, his, um, uh, his, his eternal hope. So first, his living hope, and then secondly, and our future hope or our eternal hope. And so what we want to see here is we're talking about the living hope. And um, why, you kind of wonder to yourself, why couldn't Peter just be happy with the word hope? Why does he have to add in living, right? Well, like the life that we receive from God, our hope also should not be a static thing, but a dynamic thing. Our hope grows, right? And it grows more intense, more strong, more full and robust with each year. It grows more intense and confident with every passing minute. In other words, our hope should be genuine and vital rather than fake and optional. In other words, hope is not just an optional thing for the Christian. Our hope is an intentional thing that we're living into, and it should be growing on a consistent, regular basis. It is genuine and vital. In the same token, all that God wills is alive, and it remains. Just like plants. You know, this, uh, my wife and I are growing some plants, and our tomato plants Last year, at this time, they were that tall. You know, they were about this much. And we were so disappointed that we didn't have any tomatoes. But then this year, man, it's completely different. And uh, I know y'all going to go run out and get your compost and stuff like that. But it is going like crazy, like right here. And, um, and so we left it outside. But when we brought it in, she was like, oh, no. What happened? It was like withery. It was like kind of spotty. And it just looked bad. I think it was because I accidentally blew it with a blower, um, and so it kind of gave it <laughs> a nice wind, but I'm still thinking that it was the cold. <laughs> but, you know, it just so, I'm hoping it'll grow. Pray for that. So we're pr- pray for the plants. Pray for my plants. Pray especially for the tomato plants that it will grow and that we will grow in hope. <laughs> but that's what it should be. As you are looking at like a plant, and as you're looking in every day you're seeing the growth you're seeing the leaves sprout up you're seeing it that is the same attention to our hope factor and so not only it's genuine it's vital but whenever god makes something alive it is genuine it grows 
And check out some of the other things that God makes living uh, that we see here in the framework of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Um, well, first of all, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up, what? Into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, right, a living stone, right? A living stone. How can a stone be living? That is just craziness. But Jesus is that living stone, and he is breathing life into one that had a heart of stone, namely us. But here, he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house. And that's what you are. You are, have a living hope. In other words, you're not meant to escape and just wait for heaven passively, but you're also called to live here in this earth, but you are erecting a house, a spiritual house in which you, with other living stones, are, are, are inviting God to say, God, I want to be your temple. I want to be a place where your presence dwells in this life so that people can be drawn toward Christ and ultimately to me so that I can bring others to know him and to experience life. So we see living stones. It talks about believers. It talks about Jesus, uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Let's go on a little bit further. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, right? That we might live to righteousness. So his righteousness gets transferred to our account, and we now are living into his righteousness. And then chapter 4, verse 5 through 6, I'm excited about when we actually preach this, but uh, it's a hard uh, thing to, to grasp. Uh, but it says, um, and, and contrasting those who lived in the flesh in this world versus those who live according to the Spirit, Verse 6, for this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So there's this sense of the, that, that we are also living according to his spirit. God gives us new hearts and he also gives us new passions to live for, for him through the spirit. So living hope is all those things that it's a real, it's a genuine hope, it actually grows, and it's a progressive growth. And I just want to ask ourselves, is that true of us? Remember, these, God is calling us this beloved exile in which we are scattered, um, and just as Jordan will preach on next week, but this living hope is so real that even we have a living hope that we experience hope in the midst of trial. And the idea here is that believers may be experiencing some suffering, some struggles, some trials that you're going to be tested beyond and above what you can actually even handle. But don't take, um, don't be anxious. Take heart because your faith is not destroyed just because of your troubles. You are in the bedrock of Christ. And you have a secure hope in Christ that is grounded in the objective truth that Jesus Christ has lived, has died, was buried, and was resurrected from the dead. That is a truth that cannot be, that can be questioned but not contested. 
And this is the living hope that Jesus has triumphed over them. So anything in this world that happens to us is trivial compared to what happens and what awaits us in the final resurrection. And so Peter is just chewing up the fact that, could that be true of everything? Even the trials that I'm experiencing right now? It's chewing up this fact that this living hope is not just maxed out at the point of salvation. But no, this hope is growing up and building up into maturity. There are things that used to shake you as a young believer in Christ, whether it's temptation or fear or anxiety, um, that no longer make you respond in fear of what people would think or fear of what would happen if I don't do this or fear of losing control because you have learned that this truth that there's a living hope inside of you and that nothing in this world can separate you from the love of God that's through Jesus Christ. I look at things that used to shake my faith in Christ and there's still things that do shake my hope in Christ just to be honest with you but I feel like my hope in Christ the bedrock of that the stability of my heart Very, I was just recounting that yesterday at breakfast with another brother. And um, it, it's kind of funny when you talk to someone and you have to narrate your whole life in the span of 10 minutes while eating pancakes. Um, but I was just recounting my story of church planning and where we experienced the death of a child at the same time we experienced the birth of a church. And, and then going through eventually five years and then seeing that church plant having to close its doors. And so we went through the death of a church plant and the birth of a child which is our second child, at the same time. And, and just feeling like a failure at that time, and yet God used a brother uh, to speak his truth into me. And just rehashing that again just reminds me of who I'm defined by. I'm not defined by the things that I do, but I'm defined by who I am in Christ. And so brothers and sisters, family, Hope Church, do you have that evidence that your hope is living? And is your hope hope backed by your hope for today and maturity, a genuine hope that is real. Well, what's the second thing that we've been born to? Let's look again, verse 4 through 5 in our text. To, and there's that word to again, verse 4. So go ahead and circle that, do whatever you can, but circle that. To an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that's unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Why did Peter use this word inheritance? Well, we see that this word is a combo of two words, namos, which means law, and kleros, which means a lot, a portion, a share. Back in the Old Testament, the inheritance was a big thing. The word inheritance spoke of uh, first of all, God's promise to give the land of Canaan for the nation of Israel, that God would allow them to dispossess all the peoples of their land and then to be able to receive that as a gift, a blessing of land. Later on in the book of Joshua, referred to uh, as land allocation is which Israel would be broken up into 12 um, tribes and each tribe and family would be promised his lot or share. We see this happening, if you ever want to jot it down, Joshua eleven twenty three, in which Joshua takes the promises um, 
or giving the promises of God that after giving the land a promised inheritance, he divides them up by their tribal allotments. And so Peter understand and knew this was a Jewish term. And so what is he applying here? I think he's applying it and saying, you are a beloved exile. You have a new identity just as Easter on, on par with Jewish, the Jewish people. But I think they were being reminded that their inheritance goes way beyond Palestine or even around. And to this case, even an empire. Remember, the believers were living in the diaspora all around Turkey. And they were, in a sense, governed by this crazy Roman empire. And this word of the security of their inheritance must have come as a comfort because while they were Roman citizens and they were under the citizenship, they were have and received the blessings and privileges that all afforded to you as a citizen as long as it's in power. And the way that they enforced power was by force, by coercion, right? And by ultimately things like crucifixion. Because here's the political protection of Rome. You can either be for us or against us. You want to be with us, then comes money, then comes status. But if you cross the Roman government, guess what awaits you? The cross. You cross, you cross Rome, you mess with them, you end up bloodied and dead. So Rome was the pinnacle of human power that was made by coercion and force and earthly power. And they would build these lavish statues, lavish Roman pompous, you know, celebrations, all the stuff that you see on TV, and these empires and cities that were a testimony to their power. <laughs> and then the pastors, we were just talking about this a few weeks ago, that if you were there and in this kingdom, <laughs> which one would you side with? <laughs> you got this governor, this Roman emperor, this uh, amazing empire that goes far beyond what you've ever traveled before or you have Jesus of Nazareth humbled emptied himself on the cross the humble suffering creature from a no name city a no name town a no name life such as ours for the sake of Christ <laughs> you'd obviously choose Rome but what is there to learn to crumble memories first destination you might be able to walk in some parts of the Colosseum but literally it's a it is a synod session university right now but Jesus Christ <laughs> has blood in his nose that stands worldwide that people from every nation today are gathering in house churches they're gathering in secret they're gathering in places of worship and cathedrals and movie theaters and huge arenas, and they're gathering to praise and worship him. And as a broken man, spiritually as well as in spirit, and he has come today through the heavenly host that outlasts time and space and limitation. That's the inheritance that God going to the most amazing city in the world. It is a greater and heavenly city. And not only is this a city, it is one day God will usher in 2 Peter, which I'll talk about in a sec, a new heaven and a new earth. And so, you know, the beam in this 
will be with God unhindered. It will be like the treasured earth of rare family friends, worth of rewards for life. It will be with people like people like people, and we'll be in the same These are the three words that Peter uses, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, meaning the inheritance can never be corrupted. It's imperishable. This is absolutely eternal. It's undefiled. This this kingdom will be unstained. It will never lose its luster. It will never grow old. It will never, ever get a speck of dirt on it. Same word reminds us of who Jesus is, that he's the high priest. He's the sinless high priest who's passed through the heavens. Talks about the purity of that. And lastly, the unfading, that it will last the test of time. I just love how someone phrased this. So I'm just going to read this, um, this quote. Can't say it better. It's a great interview. He says, Peter used a triple word picture to describe this inheritance. Our inheritance can never perish, spoil, or fade. Our inheritance is death-proof, Bearing unfading. <laughs> wow. That's the inheritance that looks awaits us. And God's not content just to let that happen. He is what? Guarding it by his picture is like a like a military army far greater than anything in Lord of the Rings or in you know the return of the king or whatever that would be whatever your war movie is the military garrison that is just waiting on pins and needles looking at that gate ready to pounce on anything that comes through this guard is not only God waiting to um, protect but also there's a guard inside that it protects people from ever leaking out and escaping out. How? It's by falling away in our faith. In other words, God not only guards us, guards something in the future, but he guards what's in here. He guards our faith from ever experiencing falling or disbelieving all that Jesus has for us. Right? For going AWOL on God. And no, God delights to use um, this, our faith. Our faith is extremely important. We're not just automatons in which God does everything and we do nothing. Um, God doesn't just want us to be like AI and just spit out something. But he loves us and he uses our faith in this process. This is an amazing promise. It is this. That God repowers and sustains your personal Because who by God's power are being guarded through faith. The way that God guards you is actually through your faith. And he is filling it up. He is protecting it. And he's energizing your faith. No matter what trial you're going through. Whatever sadness and grief and despair that you're avoiding. Whatever your season is. The Father is showing his guarding love over you and he's empowering you Peter Peter is just so right as to say that this celebration is going to be um, 
protected us by us by ourselves and protected us often so again this your time to lead life by your own strength rest at the feet of Jesus maybe there's something in your home church today you confess man I've been holding on to my own control and I just want to renounce that in the name of Jesus I just want to I just want you to confess you Jesus as the Lord of my life this week and and every day Lastly, Peter says that the salvation will be ready to be revealed in the last time. And clearly pointing, although salvation is past, present, and future, it's clearly pointing to our future home. Our inheritance is speaking of our future home, our future glory that we will enjoy. Um, and so I just think about, I think about this. If, if our home, our future home, is to be in heaven, and we have the effects of that in the present, namely that we have the the Holy Spirit inside of us, asking and teaching us how to walk in the Spirit, how to respond well, and also guarding our faith. I mean, isn't it crazy that when you get homesick, that you could be somewhere entirely somewhere else that's so awesome, and yet it's good? Because you want to be I mean, I'm not going to go into it too much, but in Singapore, about eight years ago, you are in literally heaven when it comes to Asian food. Well, actually, any food. You are, I mean, within a five-minute walk, you are within night markets and hawkers markets where you can get wonton noodle soup and saute chicken and curry rice that would make anything here in Houston look like Panda Express, and if you like Panda Express, I'm sorry, that's not Chinese food, um, um, whatever it is, Fresh Walk, or just filling in Happy Walk, I remember a place called Happy Walk that, um, that we tried to frequent, and then we realized this is not Chinese food, I don't even know if it was food, um, <laughs> and um, within the shuttle bus ride, you have your access to sushi, to Hong Kong style dumplings, to saute to tea to 10 course meals to duck i mean <laughs> but you know we were just enjoying it every day and every day and every day and yet at the same time i longed for home i longed to be in my own bed i felt this feeling of like i am temporary and i don't want to be here is there any of us are there any of us here that are homesick for heaven if we are going to highlight the stories of all stories, which is that throne room with Jesus and being in intimacy and fellowship with him, how could we not be more passionate of our own future home? And I think that the issue is that we don't long too much for heaven. The opposite danger is we long for things of this world. We are not homesick for heaven because we are stuffed with the guilty pleasures of this world. And I say that, I know I say that with some kind of tone, but I say that with angst because we're missing out. I, I say that with grace because if we're honest with ourselves, we have a love for the world that John, in First John, warns us against. At the close of his letter, he says, little children, same word, guard. Guard yourself from idols. In other words, guard yourself from anything that would take your affections and pleasure away from the Lord Jesus. Of that homesickness. 
today. Lord, go. Lord, take this out. I don't want it. I want to die together in you. One of the things is just, I've just been reading, um, some of us actually went prayer walking and we got to visit a Sikh temple. And if you know anything about Sikhs, um, they are born into whatever they are born into. They were a breakaway from the Hindu system, but they didn't want a caste system, so they broke away from that. And their goal is literally to do as many good works as possible and to feed the poor, to have hospitality. I mean, they love that. I mean, they welcome us in right away. Peace sat down at their couch. And what did you get from me? You convicted me of what? Lack of hospitality. If somebody knocked on my door, would I welcome them in? <laughs> no. Um, sorry, so the first person that's going to come into my house or knock on my house, I don't know, I'm going to turn the back on them. <laughs> See what happens. But they were born into existence with no meat. They don't eat any meat. They don't suck on hands. They're vegan. And, you know, they just said, you know what? We were born into this. So when you look at meat, we don't eat it. And I, I just really feel like as Christians, we come in with an optical. We get things for Christmas. We get things for this. We get things for that. And we are taught and formed that whatever we have gives us peace. But what can I be like that where I'm born and I'm living in this living hope that that's all I'm going to have? And I've just been really pricked because I've been reading this book, a 24-7 prayer, a movement, a 24-7 prayer movement that happened with Peter Gray. And um, they went through a bunch of places in Europe, and they started praying. And they, they realized that they needed to be like the Moravians, who had a prayer uh, movement that lasted for more than a century. And then by another church planner, who, who was a church planner in Kenya, Kenya who's, who thought he could start a church by praying for 40 days straight. So these guys started praying, and they said, okay, we're going to do it for a month. And so they, they put up a candle, they put them a Bedouin-style candle, and they started praying. And then it just word just spread that every, even the middle of the night, that's where God speaks the strongest. There was a guy who came in um, to their prayer room, and, uh, and he just, like, struck because he's like, I had a vision of this a year ago, that I'm stepping into the big thing. Crazy things, right? Another, another girl had this vision of a huge angelic figure where she looked up in the skylight. And she saw this angelic finger, figure with a bazooka. She was so scared, she fell down on her knees. She couldn't even look up again. And when she did, she was so scared. But yet, it was just an assurance. She fell asleep. And then she was so, so sure that God's forces are better. And I believe, y'all, the Lord's forces are better in the end. And God began to move powerfully. And, and I think the most important thing that happened was what went inside, not that they wanted to go and change the world, but what was happening right inside. So they became that prayer, and they became the hands and feet uh, of Jesus. Jesus is coming. Wonder if the Lord would have that effect. Wonder if the Lord would just put us on our knees and say, God, I want to do whatever it is to be homesick for you, even if it be praying day and night, whether it's filling this prayer room or coming out of our prayer sets or just praying at home, praying and fasting, that we would want nothing more than have this homesickness lifted and that we would experience this newfound living hope, that our priority would be praise and it would be you and that we would worship 
Oh, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I just want to invite the team to come up. And also for our player uh, partners, we've got to just bursting in you something that you have not experienced before or have not experienced in a long time. Maybe that God speaking to you. And I just want you to uh, ask of you to just to lean into these, to these two questions. Number one, am I honestly growing into a living faith? Am I growing in my living faith? And maybe the second question, am I growing more homesick? for heaven or am I, am I attached to the love of this world I just want to encourage us all around the room wherever you want to do whether you want to stand you want to kneel you want to come to the front we can have a whole prayer time with the Lord this is your time before the Lord and he says to you this is a safe place but it's not a safe place because when God speaks I just want to invite you to come, grab prayer, or just to respond in any